How about this one? Is this one working? I think so. Can you hear me now? You should sing something into it to be sure. Hello from the other mic. I must have attempted to do a better intro to the show a thousand times, and it never worked as well as that one did. Thank you, Johnny Neal. Pass the beer. Let's start the show. That is, in fact, our theme song, and welcome, everybody, to this episode of Digital Noise. Um, I don't know what's going on. I, I am very discombobulated. I have been in and out of town since we started watching stuff for the show, so... I, you have. I this don't... Is, this is like uh, a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, I'm jet-lagged. This is the jet-lagged episode of, uh, of Digital Noise, although it's hilarious that I only traveled one time zone ahead. So is it even a different time zone? It is. It is, but I don't think you can get jet lag. <laughs> oh just my going god! An you're hour like ahead. Galileo. All of a sudden, it's like oh, Damn. oh, it's, it's the jet lag and the daylight savings. And, I'm pretty oy. much exactly like Galileo if you think about it. Or, I think you are. Well, actually, better if you don't think about it, but at all, and then it's really evident that I'm exactly like Galileo. As long yeah, as and he no was like the fifth Ninja Turtle, right? He was. was yeah, okay. they didn't get around to him yet, but uh, had there been a fifth Ninja Turtle, they would have been, been definitely. He would have been the off-brand. He would have been like the, the Kmart the, one. The, the Ninja Lizards or something. That uh, been. Hold on. Middle, no, hold on, hold on. Uh, not quite adults. <laughs> Tween. Kung Fu fighting altered tortoises tortoises yes tween age tween age tween age karate karate tortoises yes altered tween age altered karate galileo and copernicus yes and uh, pythagoras and larry yeah and larry <laughs> because every group needs a fucking and you can pick those up at your local big lots just at in your time local the big season. lots yes um so we're gonna jump right into the titles uh otherwise known as Oh, wait. No, we're not going to do that because I haven't done any of the housekeeping. I've already forgotten how this works. I've forgotten oh, how a podcast works. You know why? It's Christmas. So this is Christmas. Boom, boom, boom. And what do I know? Nothing is the answer to that question. This is Digital Noise. We're reviewing all the latest DVDs and Blu-rays, or at least the ones that we could get our hands on. And we're going to tell you what you should buy, what you should try, and what you should leave alone. I am Brian Salisbury. That is Johnny Neal. We are here uh, on oneofus.net, which you can follow on Twitter at oneofusnet, or you can follow the show individually at DigiNoiseCast, that's D-I-G-I NoiseCast, or you can uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet, and please, as you're doing your holiday shopping this year, this season of giving, why not give to us as you give to other people by using our Amazon links? Anytime you're going to go to Amazon and buy something, just come here first, click on one of our Amazon links, and then get to Amazon via that link. No matter what you buy, if you got there via our link, we get a cut of that. That really helps us out. Please continue to do that. Let's reframe that a little bit. How about let us help you yes. do your Christmas shopping? Yes. You're already on the page. You're already there. You're already halfway to Amazon. You're listening just, to our dulcet just, tones. We're not asking you for anything. We're not asking we're you We're trying to help you. Help money. us help you. We're asking you to spend your money on things that you want and just let us kind of look over your shoulder as you do that no we don't get records of what our listeners we actually don't buy. we that's, don't have that's a little creepy that there. would be creepy they're santa i know bad santa <laughs> i know who's been naughty we know who's your i know who's been very naughty oh. that's all i'm gonna say 
Anyway, yeah. So do that. We'd appreciate it. Become a subscriber if you uh, if you can. If you have a little extra scratch, we'd really appreciate it. That's how we keep the lights on around here. And definitely warm yourselves up for this weekend on Saturday. That is December twelfth. Blue Christmas is coming back, motherfuckers. Ooh. Which is the only context. I mean, it's the only word I could use to describe. I mean, you got to drop a, a motherfucker in there because Blue Christmas is. If you guys aren't familiar with this. A uh, formerly long-held tradition of getting super drunk at our annual Christmas party and recording it so that you can listen in on the debauchery. We will be podcasting for multiple hours, getting progressively sillier, and you will be along for the whole ride. So tune in right here. There will be a post on oneofus.net where you can come and listen to that you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be super fun. Is it, it going to be live broadcast? Yeah. We're going to be oh live broadcasting our drunken Christmas caroling and Streaming. debauchery. Streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I know. It's crazy. God. And That's it costs you gift. nothing. It costs you nothing. Just join us for the holidays so that we can say thank you. I like to think that there's somebody on a remote outpost like in the thing. You know, like they're all alone in South Antarctica. Not not just regular Antarctica, but South Antarctica, the baddest part, and listening to the Blue Christmas, like yeah, you guys, I'm down here watching the weather. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are partying. We will be. We will be partying. So that, well, here's a shout out to all of our listeners in Antarctica. All of our listeners down there at that station that uh, you've all been assimilated by an alien from another planet. Sorry for your fortunes. I wish I wish we could speak Danish just to really you know get to. Or Swedish. They're Norwegians, Mac. The Norwegians. Mac. They're, they're Norwegians. Is that a is that a language? Norwegian? Yeah, it's a language. Is it? It's a, it's also a country. I um, it was more of an attitude. It's it's a it's a it's a furniture building empire. That's what I know of Norway. I missed you, man. I missed you too, Johnny Neal. And yet here we are, back in my movie room slash torture dungeon to talk about. A stack of titles, a mixed bag, if ever there were one. There's some a really good mixed stuff. mixed bag. Well, we mentioned Big Lots earlier. We did. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of the Big Lot Hall of, uh, of episodes. And, and, and to emphasize that, I'm going to start with a title that neither of us actually watched. And I was going to hand off to the next team. But then I started reading about the story behind this movie and the controversy surrounding it. And I wanted to at least talk about that. This is a movie called Grace of Monaco. Now, this stars Nicole Kidman as Grace Kelly. And Tim Roth as the, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but she was married to Prince Rainier III of Monaco and left Hollywood to become the princess of Monaco. It's, it's just a, an amazing story, really. Yeah. I mean... It's a, it's a, it's a real-life fairy tale. And she is so beautiful, Grace Absolutely. Kelly. And yet, it's more of a, she's more of a name than a presence. Sure. Because at the height of lighting the entire world on fire this prince said hey you want to come be a queen you know you yeah. want to come live in a castle in monaco where james bond gambles that's what monaco we're not talking like morocco we're talking monaco and so she said sure and she left and yep. had beautiful babies and then in the in the the midst of all this the really interesting conflict for grace kelly is that she after a few years decided she really missed acting and she wanted to be a movie star again and Hitchcock is like well you can come and be Marnie in my new picture and she was like oh maybe I want to be Marnie but at the same time France is trying to annex Monaco uh, which was a principality at the time so she's dealing with a lot of like major political strife in her new homeland and at the same time has all these creative 
you know, holes that she's trying to fill. And, and it's just, I mean, I can understand how that could breed a lot of conflict and make for a very interesting story. Now, according to all of the reviews that I've read, this is not interesting. <laughs> this film does, it fails to capture sort of the, the turmoil or the, the depth of conflict for Grace Kelly and uh, just kind of, I believe a lot of reviewers use the word vapid. Very beautifully shot, but vapid movie. And that, that's disappointing, I think. But what really fascinates me about this movie is that we're sitting here talking. It is currently December of 2015. This film was shot in 2012. So it has been around for a while. And to my knowledge, not, at least very much not widely theatrically released. No, not, no. This is a, a Harvey Weinstein production. Uh, so the Weinstein Company is the major producer behind this film. And apparently, there's a great deal of conflict, not only between uh, the Weinsteins and the filmmaker, which happens all the goddamn time. The Weinsteins are kind of um, steamrollers when it comes to you know someone else's creative vision and their bottom line. Their bottom line is going to win every time. But on top of that, the actual remaining royal family really hates this movie. Uh, Prince Albert II and Princess Caroline, as well as Princess Stephanie, who are Grace Kelly's children... Uh, were very critical of the film, said that it had um, it was needlessly glamorized and historically inaccurate, to which I th- my immediate response was, oh, this must be the first time you've ever seen a biopic, because that kind of describes all of them. Of course, there are going to be inaccuracies and things that are needlessly glorified That's or glamorized. That's the entire point of a biopic. But they go on to say that the royal family wishes to stress that this film in no way constitutes a biopic. It recounts one rewritten, needlessly glamorized page in the history of Monaco and its family with both major historical inaccuracies and a series of purely fictional scenes. Um, this caused a big hoopla, and the the screenwriter apparently wrote some additional scenes, which pissed off the director, but made Harvey Weinstein happy. And then at the, the Cannes premiere, you know, the writer wasn't present, Weinstein wasn't present, nobody's talking to anybody, very... Just it's just a very kind of troubled production, which one tends to get when one gets in bed with the Weinstein's. But um, this is a, I mean, and again, I mean, this is going on years now, and um, you know, and I love Oliver Dahan, who's the, the the French director here, had a response to this um, that I feel like is absolutely the most French thing I have ever heard. Um, it is right to struggle, but when you confront an American distributor like Weinstein, not to name names, there is not much you can do. Either you say, go figure it out with your pile of shit, or you, you brace yourself so the blackmail isn't as violent. That's exactly what I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's a quote. That's, that's a, pretty French. The accent is even quoted, that's which I didn't, awesome. know, I didn't know you could do <laughs> in right. writing. That's right. So part of me really wants to watch this now just to see what it was that the royal family took so much exception to, what Weinstein thought was worthy of cutting out but then when you think about it then he didn't even really theatrically release it and it's being dumped to video by anchor bay here in 2015 uh almost a full no in fact more than a full three years after its production so well i'm looking at uh imdb and it's got the it's it's got the uh box office all it's got is the budget of 30 million dollars it doesn't even have a box office list 30 million dollars wow wow well that's Grace of Monaco, a film we did not see, but a film that you might want to, just based on all the weirdness going on behind the scenes there. And moving on to a film um, that both of us saw, and I don't think either one of us particularly liked. <laughs> 
Although I really wanted to. I really wanted to as well. Yeah, this is the new horror comedy Cooties starring Cooties. Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, Allison Pill, Jack McBrayer, Lee Winnell. I mean, it's got a pretty Everybody that you cast. love. Yeah. Everybody in this movie you love. And you know what? There's an old saying, Brian. Maybe you've heard it. You've What's walked the boards. What's that old saying? I've walked the boards. I've been an actor? Yes. Okay. I actually have, but okay. So there you go. I don't hear that expression much well, anymore. Well, because we don't see each other enough. That's true, Jenny. Yeah. If, uh, the, the more fun a cast has making a movie, uh -huh. the less fun the audience has watching the movie. That is this movie in a in a. This is a film of a party mm -hmm. that nobody was invited to until after it was over. Because this movie is so joyless <laughs> to watch. Yeah, it, it's so filled with bad inside jokes. I mean, Rain Wilson calls little Bilbo a, a, a hobbit at yeah. one point. I mean, for God's sake! But we, and yet, it's not airplane like. Yeah, we know Elijah. We we know Elijah. you were you were you, we know you were in Lord of the Rings, and and I think I agree with you. And I think part of that, I think what causes that issue is that you have a a cast, uh, you know, probably making up a lot on the spot. Oh, you have a a script that seems to not consider its audience very well, and and just kind of take a back seat to it again the, what like you said the having well, fun on set and making this a fun production to be a part of and it's one of those things that if you're ever at a party and you see two people laughing at a joke that they think is the funniest thing in the world and they insist upon telling everyone in the room the same joke and they laugh just as hard every single time they tell it and the rest of the room doesn't get it yeah and i feel like that's what's happening that's here. the perfect thing because but what what i would say is that this is a movie that assumes that you're already in on the joke just by the title, and so they don't have to do any effort to right. make a real movie out of it. And I feel like this was a movie that started off as a simple idea told over you know a few drinks at a bar, which is, what if you did a zombie movie where only the kids were zombies? And, golly, did they just seem to really hate kids. This movie really... I think this movie should be played at Planned Parenthood. Like, this film... <laughs> This film hates children. You're it absolutely hates right. Children with, with and I mean, teachers. It hates teachers too. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say it does kind of point out that teachers aren't you know always the the bastions of the of the which plenty world. plenty of comedies have done that. So I'm not faulting. I'm not I'm not holding the movie accountable for that. But man, does it hate kids? It really bothered me to to a point. You know, like okay, every kid in this classroom is either a bully or a dumbass. Or, yeah. You know, the sick kid has a big loogie hanging out of her nose. Uh, it just wasn't good. And then it, it just was, it started kind of real creepy with that slaughterhouse of a, of the chicken McNugget factory scene. And it's like, oh, this is, they're going to kind of go for broke here, aren't yeah. they? And then they decided not to go for broke. They just went for really kind of a cheesy dorky, I don't know. It just, it had, uh, it had, uh, Hugo in it, uh, Oh, Jorge Garcia. Jorge Garcia. And he spent the whole movie in his van, yeah. meaning he showed up for work for about two hours. Was it the same van as the one they found on the island that was like a Dharma issue? I swear to God, I bet uh. it was. I bet you, I just thought of that. I bet you a million bucks it was the same type of fucking van that was on the island. So, Well, and they also apparently had never eaten mushrooms because he eats a whole bag of mushrooms. Like at the beginning of his work day as yeah. the crosswalk guy and then just sits in his van and I'm like, 
well, that's a waste of mushroom. I you think know, so. like mm-hmm. everything about it just seemed like, well, what if we did this? Yeah, and let's yeah. do this. Well, and the basic premise here is that you have our, our main character, Elijah Wood, is moving back to um, his hometown. He's a, he's a wannabe horror writer. And he moved to Chicken Head or? Fort Chicken. Fort Chicken. Because I was just like, nobody, there's no, there's stop no it. no Fort Chicken. Stop it. That's not, that can't, that, like, I understand there are stupid town names in the United States, but there's not a Fort Chicken. Just right. fucking stop it. That's ridiculous. Um, so he moves back and he's, you know, reluctantly taking a job as a substitute teacher and he's kind of still getting bullied and all the blah, 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 blah. In the meantime, an infected chicken nugget has turned all the children into zombies. That's pretty much the whole story. That's it. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, like he's he's really fallen for the girl played by Allison Pill, but her boyfriend is the gym teacher played by Rain Wilson. And I feel like individual moments have their have their charm, have their comedic effectiveness, but the whole movie altogether, part of the problem for me was that it just felt really cheap. And, yeah. Oh, like, the way it was cheap. shot, it looked like it was lit by halogen lights. Well, and it, it looked like it was lights, filmed I mean. during the summer yeah. at a real school, yeah. you know, and, and I don't mean that in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well, we've got construction paper to decorate the walls with. And, and I don't understand that because I've seen plenty of low-budget films that don't feel cheap. Like, oh yeah, it does. It doesn't cost much to care about details, right? And, and I feel like that's the problem. Here. Yeah, I, it just isn't a very good movie. The jokes don't ever land. Um, the actors feel like it was. It feels like they were all in on their own joke, and they were all proud of their joke, and so they moved like, "Oh, that's a good take. Let's go," and then you know assembled it later. I don't know. I I just was really disappointed, mainly because. Of the cast, and I liked the idea of a, of a zombie outbreak with kids, but the kids didn't have to already be dickhead kids to yeah. begin with. Yeah, and I, I just feel like there's there's too many corners that are cut here, and it just doesn't does not work for me. Um, uh, there's is, let's see, circle circle dot dot catching cooties featurette deleted extended alternate. This is another way you can tell that there's too much improvising going on. When the bulk of the special features are deleted, alternate, or extra type things. Well, actually, I watched all those extras uh, to back up my my theory that they had a really good time filming it. <laughs> that is not Johnny Neal editorializing. They <laughs> did have the, a good time I, on that I fucking set. I had kind of set. forgotten about that, but every one of the bloopers was just them laughing at, at their own take. You know, making a face or not catching the keys when they got thrown to them or something. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just laughing. Yeah. And that was it. There was no, yeah, we had this idea, you know, kind of, it just wasn't good. Moving on from there is a film that I am so upset that I did not get a chance to see. But again, with traveling and everything, I just was not able to to fit it in. It is a Austrian horror film from last year that got a lot of people talking. A film called Goodnight Mommy. Now, I'm going to go out way out on a limb, Johnny Neal, and suppose that this film is not about a healthy loving relationship between a mother and her child no okay it is not but okay listen i'm listening oh i talked about cooties okay you know i've got three kids i love i thought you were gonna say i talked about cooties you know i've got them i've got (laughs) i've got got those cooties yo i've got three kids i'm a a stay-home dad i love children you know i do i do and 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 this is not a spoiler if you've ever seen a movie before. It doesn't even have to be a movie about twins. But if you've ever seen a movie, this is not a spoiler. There's not really twins. One of the twins is dead and the other twin is imagining him. Now, this is something I have learned as a parent, 
as a moviegoer, as a man who loves horror, and as the son of a twin, but a fraternal twin, not a same sperm twin, if through some horrible situation you have identical twins Mm -hmm. and one of them dies... I thought you were just going to stop that sentence there. If by some horrible circumstance you have identical twins... Well, that's like... (laughs) That hardly ever works out, does it? Well, if, it's, it's if, working if out so far for the identi- leagues, but time will tell. If you have identical twins and something happens and one of them dies, just kill the other one. Wow. <laughs> it's never going to go well. Johnny Neal. It is never going to go well that for that like other twin. That is like uber pro-choice There's right there. going to be like, you know, basket case type shit. It is never going to go well for that surviving twin. They're always going to have that, oh, uh, my, my twin brother's right there in the mirror. And they're going to have bad conversations. And then if you're the mother, don't punish. If, you, if you're going to wimp out and not kill the other one, don't punish them <laughs> for talking to the other one. Because that just makes them real mad. You're going to wimp them, out and not kill the other twin. <laughs> that makes them listen to the other twin sure. and do mean shit to you. Yeah. I, I really liked this movie. Uh, it, it's in German, but it's very <laughs> little language. I mean, it's it's so moody. It's very dreamy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... Would you uh, say it's expressionistic? Uh, it's very colorfully expressionistic. Um, it really is. It's got some great shadow work with, with blinds, like mm-hmm. just with yep. uh, Venetian blinds. I don't and, know a lot about film, and you guys can cut that and put it into all the other reviews I've ever done. I get it. But I, uh, whenever I think of German expressionism, I associate it with shadows and blinds. Yeah. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, right, I, think right. about, I think about the way that Nosferatu looked and just, like, kind of imagine that, uh, like, extrapolated into a new generation. And weirdness. Oh, it's of course. Just a German, weird, yeah. weird, like... I know this is Austrian, but come on, guys. She comes home from a hospital with this face bandage on, and the twins are going, I don't think that's really even our mother. And she's still messed up from an accident that apparently killed the other twin or something. Yikes. They don't go out of their way to explain what all's happening, right? Uh-huh. But the twins are like, that's not really our mother. And then she takes her bandage off, and... uh It'll be framed to where she's only talking to the one kid, and you already have figured out that the other kid's dead. And and <laughs> they're like, what happened to your mole? You had a mole on your face. And she's like, well, they had to take it out. for It was part of the surgery, the reconstruction. And they're like, you're not our mother. You're not our mother. And Imposter. So, and so, <laughs> I'm, I don't know why it's French. But... Imposter. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't speak German. Jacques uh, balloon. So they uh <laughs> So they ended up torturing her. It it goes from being a really mo- I, I don't want to give you a spoiler ending, but it goes from being really cool, dreamy, weird, moody kids with too much time on their hands in uh, the countryside sure. to torture porn in Ooh. the last like 10 or 15 minutes. Interesting. So it goes from being like eerie and creepy to just uncomfortable yeah that's Um, never what you want but i still recommend it i mean especially for some of the sick people that listen to our show oh yeah no i mean we're we're all pretty pretty much sickos there uh, special features wise there's a conversation with the filmmakers veronica franz and severin fiala that is a hell of a name severin uh, sounds like you'd have to reside at hogwarts have a name like that. severin that's a big velvet underground Severin, Severin. Oh, this this is also brought to us by Anchor Bay. I like this movie. You do like this movie. I do like this movie. I like it a lot. All right, 
It sounds uh, like, and sounds I, lived like in, I lived in Germany for five years, you know, so I felt right at home. So you're pretty fucked up. Yeah. 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 No, I get that. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the Criterion release of the week, uh, a film based upon one of probably the greatest books, you know, of the... Have you ever read it? No. But... <laughs> but uh, Have you ever read any books, Brian? I, I, I am familiar with the concept of a book. Yeah. I, <laughs> Not I know. just a little... It's like a movie... But it's in like squiggly things, and then you kind of like you you translate the squiggly things into images in your in your brain cap. You're thinking of the pamphlets that come in the Criterion edition. Yes, yeah, Those count as books to you. Yeah, they do. No, I actually I do read a lot, but unfortunately, In Cold Blood is not. Uh, I, if I have read it, it was in high school, and I don't remember it. I may I have remember it. I may have had to read it in high school. But this is uh, this is the film version of In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. It was directed by Richard Brooks. This is from 1967, and right off the bat. One of the things that made me laugh about this is that I'm sure at one point someone was watching this movie and going, I don't know that I buy Robert Blake as someone who would just brutally murder someone with a gun. <laughs> don't do the crime if is, you can't do is that the Beretta? crime. Yeah. Are you busting out some Beretta Some on Beretta. Us? Wow. Robert Blake. Hey, spoiler alert, Robert Blake shot his wife yeah. um, <laughs> later in life. Anyway, in this film, he plays one of two kind of greaser transients who and now this is based upon a true story in okay the Kansas. book can I, can I just say oh this, please book, go for it I, I, you I, probably know this far better than i do so i know the book it. very well it's been a long time since i read it but it made a big impact on me the book is considered the first non-fiction novel that hmm. uh it was fully investigated but instead of it being written like uh, a true crime reportage it was written in novel format and uh, it's the story of these two ex-cons who met in prison, uh, got out at separate times but kept in touch, and there was a third member that was in prison with them that had worked as a farmhand on uh, this farm in Kansas for the Clutter family. Mm -hmm. And he reported to them that when he got out, he was going to go rob this guy because he had a safe full of money. Long story short, these two guys get together go to, to the house, kill the whole family, and get away with, like, $47. Yeah. It's just a brutal, horrible, horribly brutal story. And you can understand why it's called In Cold Blood. It's just, like, there was no reason whatsoever for you to murder a whole family for $47. It's just insane. It's, 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 it goes way beyond uh, a crime of convenience or a crime of opportunity into something revealing of a, of a very troubled psyche and... That's and I, what I what I liked about the movie and probably what is its most uh, what what is most a translation of the book is that it does it is very comprehensive in the way the story is told. I mean we we get a sense of who the Clutter family is. We watch this this pair that we know what they're going to do because we're familiar with the story. We know exactly what's going to happen, but we watch them from the very start of them getting out of prison, making this long trip there, and the slow build-up to what happens, and then it happens, and then the entire breadth of the investigation to find them, and how they are caught, and how the trial uh, proceeded, and then watching their last days on death row. Like, this is the entire story. This is the yeah. entire story of this crime. From start to finish, from the moment the idea of committing the crime is incepted to the moment that punishment is carried out. Like, that is incredibly comprehensive. And it was reported on by or investigated by Truman Capote at the time mm -hmm. that it was going on. I mean, you know, post murder. Um, he, so it was reportage, but instead of it 
being written up as an article or a column. He wrote a novel out of it. Yeah. Which is a very strange concept if you think about that, you know, because it was every bit of the novel was true, but it was still written with as a novel, like with with the tropes of fiction, you know, instead of just uh you know, there was no footnotes. There was no according to's and datelines and all the stuff that you would find in a in a nonfiction true crime story. I think it also removes the onus of judgment from Truman Capote to not write this nonfictionally or as an article because he's allowing himself to inhabit to to basically get inside their heads by inhabiting them as characters that he's writing. But at the same time, because so much of this is from a very straightforward kind of perspective of, of like a novel of being there and and being with these characters like i don't i don't feel i feel like that would and again i'm speculating but i feel like that would alleviate sort of the responsibility of casting judgment one way or another which allows for the reader to kind of formulate their own views of the situation which i think is really interesting and frankly something i think that comes across in the film is that um there are there there's very there's a lot of very complicated emotional triggers that we find out the I mean again when I say comprehensive this goes back to the pasts of both of the guys who committed the crime but it starts with the murder it starts with the well the the film kind I mean, of more or less it's it the first with act the, the end of the the, the, the end of the first act is the murder yeah and then it's like okay so who were these guys exactly and, and then it's a fast i think it's a fascinating movie i couldn't I, like i was i was like it's a long movie but i was and it's black and white but i was still very engaged and enthralled and i thought robert blake's performance was incredible uh i thought he played that character with just enough like man like you saw him do these things and you just realize what a completely broken dangerous vile human being he is but at the same time there is just like a sousson of empathy that you allow yourself to to develop, and it, and it is all based on his performance. And uh, I think John Forsythe is uh, the actor that plays the the chief investigator who's kind of chasing them. Yeah, and and then you have a score by Quincy Jones, uh, which is absolutely phenomenal. And and I think what this may be the film that is most enhanced by having been in black and white. I mean, obviously. You know, we're talking about 1967. They could have easily made this film in color. Oh, yeah. But I think just how how bleak Kansas looks in the winter and how just uh, how dark and, and abysmal this crime was. And well, and it makes it takes on the uh, the look of true crime photographs yeah, and absolutely that sort of thing. And I think it's I think it's a great movie. And I think uh, Criterion has done an amazing job of you know, restoring it and giving us a new 4K digital restoration. Um, this has new interviews with uh, cinematographer, the director of photography on the film. Uh, there's a new interview with historian Bobby Osteen on the film's editing. Uh, there's a new interview with film critic and jazz historian Gary Giddens about Quincy Jones's music specifically. And, and a real a new interview with writer Douglas K. Daniel on director Richard Brooks. My favorite thing about this, though, honestly, like of all the things, there's so many, so many different uh, special feature supplements to choose from. There's a feature called "With Love from Truman," which is a short 1966 documentary that features Truman Capote himself, and so it's just like this interview with Truman Capote, and he's just fascinating character in and of himself. So, have you ever read any of his stuff? 
Um, again, I don't think so. I don't think that I have, but I desperately want to. I yeah. think I think I'll be reading in Cold Blood any day now. Like I think I'll be picking yeah. that up and and oh, Breakfast at Tiffany's too. You oh can, sure. I mean, you can knock that out in a day. That's a real quick read. Absolutely. I think I'm going to make this my pick of the week because uh, again, I just I was fascinated by the movie. I thought the the presentation was so good, and it's got a massive massive amount of extras for any true crime or true sinist to delve into. We're going to move on from there to a film that Johnny Neal saw and raved about, but unfortunately I did not get a chance to see. Uh, it is a film called Partisan, starring Vincent Cassell, who I once thought would make a great Joker uh, really? for a Batman movie. I always thought it would Vincent, be more of a... Of a but that smile. Like, a Harlequin got, oh, type of Joker. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> because Actually, uh, this movie... Uh, if you see it and you see the name of it, because the name doesn't quite make sense, and then it's Vincent Cassell, you're going to say, ah, oh, that's in French. I don't feel like watching it. It's not. It's in English, which is a relief, because sometimes you just don't want to not watch something in English. And, and even it, though Vincent Cassell is very, very French, this is an Australian film. It's an Australian film that was filmed in, in Georgia of Russia, former Soviet Union, Georgia, uh, with a French lead and... Uh, it doesn't have a lot of dialogue. The movie is kind of a weird, it's that gray area of science fiction, you know, where you kind of go, is this post-apocalyptic or is this just post-economic downfall? Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it has that kind of like the first Mad Max was like that, you know, like, well, it's not really radioactive, but everybody's out of work, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, and this one has two interviews, one with the director, who's only 28, and one with uh, with Vincent Cassell. And uh, I recommend that you watch those interviews as well. So this movie starts with you're in a, a hospital that's one of those big, you know, public service hospitals. There's like 12 new mothers in one room. And uh, Vincent Cassell walks in and he sees one mother who doesn't have any flowers on her nightstand. Mm -hmm. And he goes to her and he has a flower in his lapel and he gives it to her. And it sprays acid? No. He's not the Joker. It sprays love. Sorry, he's not the Joker, guys. (laughs) Stop getting it confused. Don't get it twisted. He shows attention to her. It's, It's just this great seduction on his part. Uh, and then you see him carrying like just a ton of building materials, like through this sewer pipe into mm-hmm. this abandoned apartment courthouse complex kind of thing. It's all a little bit vague. And then you cut a few years later, like 10 years later, I guess. And he's got a whole brood of all these women with kids and he's like the, the king of it. It's got a very cult-like feel to it i should say it also has a very because all the kids are always like wearing face paint and everybody's happy and they're playing they're they're playing darts with bb guns and what he's doing is he's raising a bunch of assassins wow and he's and everybody like the women all are friends everybody likes each other but the oldest kid the one from the very beginning is now at the age where he's going hey wait a minute you know what? What the hell are you making me do this for? I you made me ride my bike or go into town and uh, shoot a guy. I just shot him like that, you know. <laughs> and then came back and I don't really know if this is cool. But the big thing is, there's an autistic kid. A lady comes in with an autistic kid, and they raise chickens. Vincent Cassell 
tells him to go kill one of the chickens for dinner and the autistic kid freaks out and yeah. defends him you know and he's like I, no way i'm not going to kill the chicken that you're a murderer if you kill the chickens and nobody had ever stood up to him like that i mean it's one thing to think rebellion and it's another to just have that black and white thinking you know no shades of gray of of an asperger's the kid mm-hmm. um and then the next day they're gone and so then the 12 year old kid really starts questioning what's going on. So it's kind of a coming of age story, kind of an examination of, of those culty daycare centers, like alternative daycare where, where they're preaching veganism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been a part of one of those to where it's like, you're not trying to be a teacher. You're trying to get everybody to buy into your lifestyle. Oh my God. Uh, and, and, uh, it's just a beautiful dreamy movie. I really, really loved it. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Nice. Well, I'm I'm terribly sorry I did not get a chance to see this. Because and again, watch the interviews. Watch the interviews because oh, yeah? they're 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 worth the ten or fifteen minutes extra because it's just cool. Like everything that you suspect, they they back up. Like yeah, we didn't know we were you know. Anyway, I really recommend that one. <laughs> well, very good. That comes to us courtesy of Wellgo. Uh, which again is a very interesting choice because usually they're putting out uh, Asian films, so it's it's nice to see something else from them. Now another film that I had seen before but had to revisit, and uh, Johnny, know you watched this as well as yes, I, I did. This is the latest Scream Factory release. Now this is Ghost Story. Now I want to tell you a little story, Johnny Neal. Okay. So dim the lights and uh, close the window as I put this flash- flashlight up to my face. When I was a child, when I was very young, my father had this habit of quoting films without telling us that he was quoting films so for a large portion of my more formidable years i grew up thinking that my father was this maxim machine this 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 font of wit that came from the recesses of his brain and later would find out it came from caddyshack and (laughs) ghostbusters and one particular line that he always he had taste he was encumbered with taste. But one such line that he would say anytime he saw on television or in real life two people dancing, he would jokingly remark, Dance with me, you toad. And I always thought this was a reflection of my father's disdain for the movement of couples in synchronization when in fact it was a line from fucking Ghost Story. You're killing me! And and that's that's what it ended up being was a line from Ghost Story, which when I when he eventually told me that it made me want to watch it. It took years, but I did finally rent a VHS copy of Ghost Story from a video store here in Austin when I first moved here, and I watched it. And I got to say, when you hear the subject matter of this film, it should be the driest, most boring, most. Um, uh, pretentious sort of like it just doesn't sound like something that would be very scary but I think the way that it's executed visually really allows for some still legitimately unsettling scares in this film um, now this is a film starring uh, Fred Astaire yes Melvin Douglas yes Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and John Houseman so old white guys old white guys this is an old white guy this was mystery. made in 1981 yes now while the or rest released in 1981. 1981. Now, this would have been a time when slasher films were starting to rise to real prominence and become the dominant force of theatrically released horror films. 
also also the first year of Ronald Reagan's presidency. So everybody had a hard-on for old Hollywood guys. And speaking of old Hollywood guys with hard-ons, this movie is, in essence, I mean, it's it's classic uh, murder-revenge ghost. Like, this could have easily been a Jalo film, if you think about it, because what it is is it's a story about their youth and how they... Uh, they all were kind of in love with the same girl, and Alice Craig, Alice, uh, who better known as the Borg Queen from well, Star to Trek. To me, she's Tully from uh, from Barfly. That that will always okay. be my favorite uh, role for to her. To ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everyone else, you will probably be the Borg Queen. But if you happen to be a big film a fan of the Mickey Mickey Work film Barfly, th- there you go. You also have that point of reference. That's. <laughs> It's a deep cut. It's a deep pull, Johnny Neal. Not for me. Not. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there on my sleeve. <laughs> so these four, these four guys, when they were younger, living, uh, they all were in love with the same girl. Um, they accidentally, maybe not so accidentally, there is a struggle one night, and she ends up dead. Yeah, you're, so, you're being very nice to these four. Well, old, I'm. I am very much a, a Reaganist, as you know. I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely adore that. No, that's fucking ridiculous. He ruined everything. <laughs> But he did yeah, give us they I live. Bet. He did give us they live. So but I bet that <laughs> inadvertently gave us they live. <laughs> but I bet that as a child you you grew up thinking he was the greatest guy in the world. I thought he was funny. I thought he talked Everybody funny. Everybody loved him. I I just I thought he talked funny. In this movie, Fred Astaire is the most effeminate guy, and every time they say his name, he'll say Jimmy, call me Jimmy. I'm like, okay, you bastards, would you stop talking shit about Jimmy Carter? We know Reagan's in office now. Well, basically, yeah, these these four guys, they get together every week and they share And they form the Chowder Society. Which, again, like like the whitest four guys on the planet in New England in the winter where there's white snow on the ground. And they what name do they opt to give themselves? Chowder Society, which uh, they're in New England, so it's going to be New England, which is, oh, oh, white food. Like, this film gets progressively paler as you watch it. Whiter shade of pale. A whiter shade of pale, the opposite and, of Fifty Shades and of And here's the deal. You already kind of know that they killed this chick, yes. right? I mean, you already, it's a ghost story, for God's sake. Yeah. They get together and tell ghost stories to each other of the like, like you would read in an Alfred Hitchcock magazine. Yeah. Spooky fireside Terrible tales. my mother told me. And... And, uh, like, that's their way of relieving their guilt. It unburdens them and unburdens them like the, the, it gives them the opportunity to delve into the macabre without actually touching upon the thing that unites them and the most macabre thing that they actually do share. And I kind of like that element of the story. But what re, what I really like about this movie, what I think really makes it timeless is that the imagery of the ghost girl when she shows up throughout this movie just the slight movement of the pr- prosthetic that they've created to represent her. It's pretty, <gasps> it's pretty slimy. I still think about it, and it still creeps me out. Yeah. Like, and and what? Uh, there's a great moment at the beginning of the movie where, where the son of one of these guys uh, sleeps with the ghost. Apparently, you can fuck a ghost. That's a thing. You yeah, can that's do. A, that's one of those things. Too. Well, not only that, but the ghost can move to different cities. Yeah, and and then you know have sex with your and make your son fall out of a window uh and just his, just his, by i don't even know what she did that made she looked jump. creepy like oh, i'm sorry like yeah. they, oh they that's right off. he was in bed with her and he went to <laughs> but yeah. I, I think that's what i really like about this movie is that for all of its stuffiness which it just is inherent in the in the central conceit it pulls off a lot of really creepy moments that are achieved without without kind of getting too graphic 
which is what was really going on at this point in horror filmmaking. It's just like, just make it slasher film became a thing. Like, that should right. tell you everything when you need to know about our propensity for or our affinity for increasingly more violent films. This goes truly old school with it in a way that still works, I think, to this day. I can I've always see that. liked that about this movie. I, I can see that completely. I, I just have my problem with the movie is that these four guys with their weird little boater, straw boater hats in the 30s, all in love with the same woman. They are the, a gaggle of Gatsby's. A gaggle of Gatsby's. And then the one of them is impotent. The one that she chooses to sleep with is impotent because that's always what happens when you have a gaggle of Gatsby's. And... Then it becomes this big fight, and then she gets killed, and then they put her in a car and put the car in the river, and uh, she wakes up in the car and then drowns in the car, and then they Such go on moment. about their lives like yeah. nothing ever happened. Uh, they, they live their lives, become politicians and se- senators and whatever, and... Somehow or another, she's still the bad guy, you know? Well, <laughs> she I, I gets can, murdered by these four old men. I can see why you would you would kind of paint why why you would think the film's painting her. I think this film is actually about the expiration date on white privilege. I think this film is saying it's gonna take a while, guys, but this whole nonsense of you owning everything and being able to do anything you want is coming to a fucking close. And when it does, you will throw yourself off a bridge, horrified and alone, and that is how you will die. Wow. That's oh, wow. That got deep. That, that got, got weirdly good. deep. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, fun that horror was, film. That was... <laughs> Hey, you can oh, see where the Alice, fuck that came from. You can see Alice Craig's butt and, there you her, go. and her boobs. The, there you have it. She is a delight. She's oh, from, she's great in this. She's from uh, South Africa. She was a ballet dancer from South Africa. Moved to England to go to school and fell in love with acting. I just love her. Yeah. I think that I, this is this is a pretty great film. It also has the guy that's always in uh, the old De Palma movies. The guy who's in the old De Palma movies? You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Craig Watson. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. He's in it. He, I always thought that he, he looks like uh, Bill Maher. He, he does look he like... that's ex- like, Yeah, no, because I know exactly who you're talking about just based on that yeah, description. He could be Bill Maher. He, he was in Body Double. Oh, okay. Yeah, the guy who just said, "Hey, can I be a porn star?" and they said, "Sure." They just hired him so that he could <laughs> track down mysteries with Melanie Griffin. Sure, yeah, as we all do, as we I, all do. I had to put in a resume. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this uh, this Scream Factory release comes with a number of special features, as you would expect, an audio commentary by the director John Irvin. Uh, there are new interviews with the author of the book, Peter Straub, uh, actress Alice Creed herself. Uh, the screenwriter, Lawrence D. Cohen, the producer, uh, even a matte photographer gets in on the uh, on the interview roundup. Uh, there's a vintage theatrical trailer, TV and radio spots, and a photo gallery because it is a Scream Factory release, and they do not fuck around. Now, speaking of films in general, I don't have a good segue for this. This is a movie Johnny Neal kind of saw, as, as I recall. Um, I watched it. He watched it. Watched uh, it from beginning to end, but parts of it I watched in Fast Forward. This... <laughs> This is no. It was like two and a half hours long. No, no, and I get it. And I want to say this about about this film: Wellgo USA is a great company. Don't get me wrong, but they tend to put out films that are inc- like like the Asian films that they put out more times than not tend to be things that are really tough for me to make it all the way through. Yeah. Now, one of their films that they put out that I had no trouble making it all the way through was a film called Thieves, which is a Korean heist movie. Excellent film. 
There's a trailer for that on there. That's because this is the same director. Yeah. Uh, this movie is called Assassination, which um, Johnny Neal, tell us a little about. Now, this is if you can if you can stretch your mind for just a moment to consider this possibility, left field as it may be. This is a film where the Japanese are not very nice, and other Asian countries are tired of it. <laughs> I know, I know, foreign concept, <laughs> but it happens in this film. It's actually that, and it. But it's also, um, uh, what do you? It's like taking to task all of the Korean business people, who like the mine owners and stuff mm-hmm. that went ahead and collaborated with the Japanese to make their takeover of Korea, uh, a takeover that nobody even had to fire a shot. As you back go- in like 1910 or something. As like you that. are deciding who you will be voting for in the upcoming election year, I want you to remember something that Johnny Neal is hinting at, is that tyranny. And world domination of the most evil men imaginable cannot happen without complacency and without collaboration. So if you vote for Trump, I swear to God, I will rip your goddamn nuts off. <laughs> Continue, Johnny. And it's not like he's even like an industrialist. No. He, he's a casino owner. I'm just saying. Yeah, I hear you. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. Well, at least I'll unfollow you. Oh, I'll, no, I will start following you to your car at oh. night, uh, and you will not see another sunrise. And anyway. <laughs> so this is a movie. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say something that most people are going to say is probably sacrilegious. I would prefer these long movies like this be dubbed instead of having to read oh, subtitles. Johnny Neal. Because, you know, they talk for five minutes and it'll be two sentences of reading, and you're going. There's not a lot of subtlety in in that sentence of of what was said. You know but that is very that's that is very sacrilegious to a cinephile. Like you you in in cinematic terms just got on this microphone and said God is dead. You are this you are niche to a cineast right now. Would you prefer your Godzilla movies dubbed or subtitled? Well, when you say my Godzilla movies, they actually belong to the world, I think. No, I'm talking the ones that you take Oh, no, I don't fucking watch Godzilla movies. But the point is, (laughs) if I did, I would probably be okay with those being dubbed. Because that's when they're the funniest. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. What you're saying is they're really missing out on the comedy aspect of assassination. They do a lot of the, the, you know... We're we're in Star Wars season. Everybody knows if you're into movies that R two D two and C three PO are part of the trope of Asian uh, Mutt and Jeff type pairs, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. there's one of those in here. They're okay. they're half the time they're comedy relief. They're like trying to pick a lock of a jail door that opens from the other direction, and it's not even locked. They're just pulling instead of pushing. So they're trying to pick the lock so that you know, sure. just stupid little. You know, we're two dumb guys, but push comes to shove, we're really great assassins. And one of them has half a head on a soccer ball, so it's really cute as well and helps promote the film? Yeah. Like BB-8? No? Okay. <laughs> Isn't it sad that you already know the names of the toys of the Dude, movie you haven't am, seen? It's the most it just, wonderful time of the year. It's just... There's a new Star Wars so movie bad. Out. It just bothers me. Can't the movie just be the movie? Does it have to be on Coffee Mate? Anyway, this movie goes on for two and a half hours, and it's another. It's another. You the oldest. The you picked the most curmudgeonly artifact or the most curmudgeonly product to complain about their being marketing just on it. why on earth would it be on why does why does kylo ren have to be on my laxatives <laughs> go 
coffee made for god's sake oh good lord it, i mean so to me that means in the movie are you gonna see darth vader or whoever bob vader whoever are you also upset about the c-3po eyeglass repair kits at walgreens <laughs> i'm just trying to think of like more di- like identifiably old person products that you could get upset about there the, being the, star wars uh, marketing on job of the tux nice <laughs> i like that I like that. I have a feeling uh, we know where our giveaway contest is coming from. <laughs> yes, Geriatric the, Star Wars tie-in. Yes, the new Yoda Depends. <laughs> so this, Accident anyway, you will not have. So this is a movie that is quite good if you're into that sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like sure. so long. It's and, and it's twin daughters of an industrialist. Who, so if one of them dies, you got to kill both of them, according to Johnny. Well, Bell. pretty much. That's the, the rule. <laughs> Because what the the industrialist, his wife is like anti-Japanese, so he sends uh, assassins to kill his wife and bring the babies back. But instead, one of the babies, their twin daughters, one of them uh, gets spirited away by the rebel forces and grows up to fight against uh, the Korean uh, takeover people, the Japanese takeover collaboration it's a long drawn out story that you've seen a million times but it's got some pretty good uh indiana jones type uh machine gun you know clackety clackety machine guns like 1920 era um anyway if if you're into it you're gonna like it i i just I didn't have anything to complain about, except that it felt a little cliche every now and then. Okay. It almost felt like an anime, you know, like those oh, historical okay. animes, like only live action. Just the, the way things are framed, the way the fighting goes on. It, mm-hmm. It's it's just a long, long story of a chick who grows up to kill her own dad. <laughs> Basically, and there you have for the, it for the good of Korea. For the good of Korea, kill your fathers, ladies and gentlemen. The movie Assassination uh, is is leaving you with that message. Now, moving on, this is uh, Inside Amy Schumer season three. Now, I have watched so many sporadic episodes of Inside Amy Schumer that I'm not sure if all of the ones I've seen fall into season three, but I know one does for sure. And it's um, it's covered here in this particular set. It is Amy Schumer's sketch version of Twelve Angry Men. It should be the winner of best thing on television this year. It is certainly my favorite parody. Now, if you guys may not be aware of how many times the movie Twelve Angry Men has been parodied. Oh yeah, but it's to the point that you don't even lot. you don't even know that's what's being. You may, yeah, you may not even recognize it at first, but it has happened. Amy Schumer's version. Where I mean, essentially, you have the uh, the the Henry Fonda character played by um, oh, what is it? John Hawks. John Hawks. That's the other thing. This one particular sketch <laughs> demonstrates Amy Schumer's ability to get the best fucking co- guest stars imaginable for her sketch show for one half hour show, and and, and in this particular case, for one. Five minute sketch. No, no, it was the whole episode. Oh, the whole episode had these yeah, guys. Yeah, it was the whole episode. It had Dennis Quaid, Paul Giamatti, John Hawks, Jeff, uh, 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 uh Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, yeah, uh, that's Goldblum. right. Uh, uh, and a bunch of other people that you. Pretty sure it wasn't uh Bob Odenkirk in that too. He very well may have. Been. I think I think he was one of the guys too. And there's basically like. 
they uh, they take the the famous scene where they're like, okay, here here's the deal. Go for it. Amy Schumer is on trial with with uh, Dennis Quaid as the judge. Amy Schumer is on trial if she is too old to still be fuckable. Yeah. That is the bleeped term that is used in the show. Yeah. And so 11 out of 12. <laughs> Think that, of yeah, the, she's not attractive she's enough not to be She's not attractive enough to be on TV anymore. Yeah. It's all done in black and white. It's yeah. done with amazing camera work. Everyone Truman Capote's in, there for some reason. <laughs> everyone's in period. Tripping you know, appropriate suits, uh, and John Hawks is the holdout who says, "Now wait a minute." And one of and one of my favorite moments is that they're like, "She has a dildo. Like if she was hot enough to be getting fucked all the time, she wouldn't need that dildo." And they bring it in like the evidence. Like I want to see that again. And like it's like, "Oh really?" And John Hawks pulls the same dildo out of his coat. And it's like, "Well, I have one too." And it is just the funniest thing. And they, they commit to it so well. And I just, yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun with that. But I think you saw more of this particular collection than I did. Oh, I watched it every week. It's oh, my, you're just like, I watch Amy Schumer all the time. I, I watched it every week. I saw Trainwreck. I've seen every season, every episode. I watched everything on here that uh, it did not, the, the extras that weren't on the show. It's mm. one of my very favorite shows. I, I think uh, Amy Schumer's brilliant. I absolutely adore her. I think she's funny as hell. Um, I can't recommend her highly enough. If you haven't been watching her show, watch it. You if really you, should. If you're on our page and you haven't seen it, click on the Amy Schumer uh, icon for this uh, video and order it. Give it to your girlfriend. Get it. Give it to yourself. Give it to your mom. It, it's a great show. Amy Schumer's brilliant. If you have a really cool mom. That I would say give it to your mom. A Amy Schumer's just brilliant. I, yeah. I think she's funny. She tackles every kind of of cliche in the world and turns it on its head mm. she does man on the street interviews that are always funny and then she do, has the going deep with amy schumer where she'll interview somebody in a bar and it'll be like uh, a transsexual like one was a this real cute chick turns out to still have a dick you know um uh, uh, this in this the extra one on here was an old gay couple that she met on a plane and they've been together for like 50 years uh it, it, she's just so personable you know she's just a really normal person who gets people to talk to her uh, she it, it's surprising to me that she's on comedy central because well i'm kind of glad because comedy central has more cachet than it used to because uh a lot of stuff she wouldn't be able to get away with on network but yeah. hbo she could i mean her hbo special was pretty damn great too i i love her i i can't say enough good stuff about her well that is inside amy schumer uh season three which just hit dvd from comedy central and uh, i want to move next to a very interesting collection of films from the quay brothers now this is a uh, their collected short films and if you're not familiar with the quay brothers trying to figure out oh i think okay this is how i would describe their style imagine if tim burton and hr giger were one david cronenberg like amalgam of a human being and then you were able to see inside of that collective consciousness as a television show that would be the short films of the Quay Brothers. I they're called animators, but I think of them as reanimators because Ooh, they take a bunch of old Johnny dead Neal shit with the soundbite of they, the week. They take a bunch of old dead shit and bring it to a, rare, a very disturbing life. 
Oh, absolutely. It is it is hard to watch. It, it, well, I didn't watch the whole thing because it's four hours, and I watched two of them, and that was enough for now. <laughs> this is this is not a a marathon subject for you no. to go through. You'll you'll really kind of get queezed out by the end of two of them. I, I think, think if you watch this from start to finish, at the end, waiting for you, along with the credits, is a loaded handgun. Yeah, because they are very dark. They're mystical. They're well, they're American. That was the big surprise to me. It was oh, from God. the Philadelphia they, area. They feel like they're I thought Eastern they were European. From, yeah, I thought they were from Poland or, or you know, Croatia or some some place that has been oppressed. Right? No, it turns out they're from the. This is just what happens when people are from Philadelphia, I guess. Um, but yeah, no these these films are very like technically, I am astounded by them. I am absolutely astounded by the the texture and the complexity of the stop motion that they're using to bring these things to life. And isn't stop motion just kind of the most magic? Oh, I'll always love stop motion. I mean, there's just something about stop motion that you know that there's real work went into it. And, you know, it just, there's something Mm -hmm. more magic about it than, than anything, any other special effect, any other absolutely because there, the effort is there on screen when you know that the way you make stop motion is you move things about an inch and then you film a frame and then I mean you have to build all you this stuff you have to be so invested and so in love with the creation that you are that you, is coming from you like that that is it, it's like it's it's the mo- to me stop motion you ha- you hear this all the time this it's sort of a hackneyed comparison now but when filmmakers refer to their films as children and how oh, yeah. it was like a childbirthing process Stop motion filmmaking to me is the only type of filmmaking that actually seems like an app because you have to raise that film yeah. inch by inch. <laughs> and uh, especially when you can see the fingerprints of yes. the filmmakers on the stuff. I love that. I mean, and, like, and it'll only be like on one frame, you know? How could You'll there see a be... fingerprint on the glass and then they fixed it for the next shot or whatever. I mean, you talk about seeing a director's fingerprints in a, in a narrative, in a, in a regular <laughs> shot film. It's like you can literally see their fingerprints yeah. in this animation. Yeah. Like, talk very... about leaving your signature on something. Yeah, it's very special. About it being a part of you. I, I absolutely love that. That being said, this shit creeps me out. Well, it's not narrative. It's more dream tone poem kind of stuff music videos without the music yeah uh and it they tend to be about some kind of lost creature getting tormented by other shit that came to life when the people left the room you know it's, it's always like dolls that the hair has been the whole unit of hair is re- yanked out and they don't have eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's just the doll head with no eyes. And it's just really creepy and yet beautiful at the same time. Uh, it's got very, uh, very David Lynch influence, uh, like uh, Eraserhead David Lynch influence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but it does at the same time. Like I watched the, the one. Um, one of them with my 15 year old and at the end he it was a uh, street of crocodiles oh of course that's that's the one i think for which they're most famous and uh at the end of that one he he gave me a breakdown of it you know like oh this guy went crazy walking down the street and this happened and then he died you know like, the end. <laughs> like it made sense to him but i didn't read it that way but i could see exactly why he would and and that's kind of their genius um I kind of wonder how people like this make a living. Well, here's the thing. 
the reason I was most excited to watch these is because I found out that they were the animators on Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Oh, they were. Which, Peter Gabriel is one of my favorite artists of the 80s. I love that video so oh, much. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love that video so much is because of the weird stop motion stuff yeah. in that video. Um, but yeah, I think I as much as I admire the artistry of what these guys do, I think I am just not... Uh, there's something too bleak about it, even when I think that they're using a bleak medium to convey a... a a feeling of optimism or whimsicalness. It just still feels oppressively bleak to me to the point that I'm just like, man, I, I feel like I, I need a shower and I need to go out in the sunshine and like hug someone after watching like two or three of these short films. Well, you can almost smell them. You, you know, can almost smell them. <laughs> you can. It's just the Quay brothers. You can almost smell them. There's just like, cause in, in the street of crocodiles, suddenly there's uh they turn something around and the back of it's all full of red meat. And it's like, God, how long was that under the lights? <laughs> you know, just, and then, <laughs> then I think just a couple of more shots, there was meat involved. And then the rest was all inanimate mm. stuff. It just, so it, to me, they're, they're art films that are, they tend to be a little long. I think whatever, since it's all mood, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be as long as they are, but I, I can't say anything bad about them. I can only say I'm not quite suited to to take a lot of it at once. Yeah. Hey, speaking of things that I'm not suited for, but still took the bullet on, um, we're going to talk about Jim Henson's Turkey Hollow, and, and that's, I, that's a whole different kind of animation. I hate that I had to say the words <laughs> Jim Henson's Turkey Hollow because, first of all, this is a movie. How long has Jim Henson been dead since oh, the '90s? It's yeah. been a while, right? This is a film for the fucking Lifetime Channel. And supposedly it is based upon um, an idea. So, like, he still has a writing credit on this. Jim Henson has a story credit idea on this film about a guy who's been just been divorced and takes his two kids to this small town with no technology. Oh, as soon as you drive past the sign, your cell phones don't work. So your bratty ass teenage daughter's all pissed off about being there, but your wide eyed, um, fantasy loving son is thinks it's the cool. It's like. Oh my god! It's like I could I could feel dice being rolled to come up with the characters and the ideas here. Like, okay, so the daughter is a bitch and she really likes technology, but the son is really into magic. And it's like, oh my god, I get it. Like I've seen this film a hundred times before, and wouldn't you know it? There really is something magical going on in this town. It's full of these little creatures. Um, are they turkeys? They are turkey-like creatures, and they're all like uh, they, these are the good creatures. And then the bad creature is, is called the the hoodoo, the howling hoodoo, and it's basically Ooh. Bigfoot. Um, I mean, basically, all this is is a Jim Henson version of the Bigfoot story themed Thanksgiving, so that it could be a Thanksgiving special. But I am wildly dubious of how much of Jim Henson's story actually made it into this piece of shit. Yeah, because this is garbage. This is absolute fucking garbage that clearly no one making gave a crap about. And even the like, and I was like, maybe I'll sit through all the, bu- uh, first of all, ludicrous, buddy, you've got the Fast and the Furious movies and I love you for those. <laughs> you don't have to take a paycheck by literally being CG'd into this film so that you can be a recurring narrator who just shows up and is like wow that's crazy i wonder if they're gonna get and make these terrible jokes and literally be cg'd into the like there's a moment we're standing by the town sign that we have just seen them drive by so we know it's a real thing that exists 
but he's not really there. And the edges are so visible, it's just laughable. And it's like, you couldn't even be bothered to go to set? You were fucking doing all of your lines. Your entire performance was in a studio thousands of miles away, and they just inserted you into the film. That's how much care and craft there is in this garbage pile of a movie that has not a single likable or unique character. And the puppets, the turkey monsters themselves, are so third-rate Henson. I got to tell you, I have seen enough. I, okay, you took the bullet on this one. I just said, yeah. you know what? I ain't watching it. I, I had it in my hand, and I looked at the player, and I went, I, I'm not going to watch this. I'm just not. And then you did, and I admire you for that, man. Man, I made it awesome. almost all the way through this, and, and I, I was just like, I've, fuck a bunch of the, this crap. The reason I chose not to is I've seen enough bad Jim Henson named branded studio stuff that I'm like, you know, that time's over, man. That's just like... Without the man, without the man himself, I feel like if it's not a Muppet, if it's not a Muppet, it's just not worth doing. If it's if without him anymore, and I'm, I don't mean to say that in the in the past, if it you know Jim Henson movies without the Muppets weren't like oh my god, Dark Crystal, The Labyrinth, so many amazing things outside of the sort of Muppet label that were still identifiably Henson and so beautifully constructed and so dazzling to look at. None of that is here. None of that is in this. This yeah. is a cash grab. This is to me. Here's everything you need to know about this film. Mary Steenburgen plays the eccentric old aunt, right? The, the Basically, she's the female Dwight Schrute. And that's the only way I can describe this character, right down to the fact that she makes them eat beets all the time. Um, but there's a photo of her husband who was convinced that all these creatures exist, right? And he's dead now. But in the basement, there's a photo of him. And it's a photo of Jim Henson, which I'm sure was supposed to be like this cute little... Touching. Except that they chose the most bloated, haggard awful looking picture of jim henson and i'm like you had no shortage of photos of jim henson to choose from and you chose one that made him look hideous and to me that is part and parcel of the overall problem of this movie which is that this does not respect henson's legacy at all it just treads on his name as long as he is present his name is there they don't care what it actually looks like that's this movie that that photo is endemic of this entire movie you don't see uh chuck jones name on stuff you know it's just it's like let stuff be what it is you know i just i don't like the idea of trotting out a a name of somebody who didn't have anything to do with it even though they say oh it was an idea of his yeah it just really bothers me and it should bother you and the thing is it it taints the good stuff yes you know the previous stuff that he actually made because it's all of one brand and it just kind of taints it yep I agree 100%, and I am saying, please, for the love of all that is Henson, avoid Turkey Hollow. Have you watched the new Muppet show? I haven't, but I heard it's great. I watched one. You weren't a, you weren't a fan? All right. It just feels over. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, 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 I'll take a look at it. But that brings us to the last title of the show, which is also going to be our <gasps> giveaway. Wait. And this is a 2015 film called No Escape. No, Kevin Costner is not in this. This is a 2015 American action thriller starring Owen Wilson, Lake Bell, and Pierce Brosnan. And I know what you're thinking. What weird bingo ball tumbler did they use to get those three <laughs> names to headline a film? I get it. 
They now, all want a trip to Asia. I will say, I went into this movie with very low expectations. Like, I was just like, this seems like direct-to-video nonsense, everybody, whatever, just there for the money. It's actually a fairly solid thriller. Is it? I was surprised. I, I didn't really have time was. for it. I, I, um, I, dang, I'm glad there's, to hear Well, that. there's a lot about the actual setup that's preposterous. Okay. I will say that. Uh, Owen Wilson is a guy from, of all places, Austin, Texas. Well, yeah. Who moves with his family. Um, although they, they never really say specifically. It's a Southeastern Asian country. I know. He's just never, welcome to Asia. They don't really like <laughs> firmly settle on where it is. And I think that was to keep from pissing anybody off. But it's, it's either Laos or Cambodia, I think. Um, and he's there as part of this company who's supposed to be kind of uh what do you call it like cleaning up the water and, and you know creating drinkable he's water good well he's a good guy it turns out the whole country's pissed off at this company because they know that this company wants to take over their water so that they can then extort the com- the country for all this well here's the part that i think is so preposterous um they get there his family gets there and they get into the hotel and within a day of being at the hotel the entire country revolts and starts killing all foreigners yeah. Here's my problem with that. If the country is right on that cusp of complete and total anarchy, you'd think Owen Wilson's character who lived in Austin, Texas, might have heard something about it in the lead up to taking this job and moving his entire family to that country. Well, you would think that the boss would have said, yeah. By the way, but even if the like boss that. is as corrupt as they're saying he is in the film, whatever, like, you wouldn't know. Like... <laughs> Revolution doesn't sneak up on anybody. That's all I'm going to say. Like, especially in this day and age, nobody's on. Oh, nobody goes. Oh, really? That country is uh, is not doing so well. Wow, I thought they were great. No, that never happens. You hear for years about strife in a country before. Literally in this film, every single citizen of that country, almost to a person, is ready to murder. Just well, ready to go. And, and I mean, you know, none of those country, none of those countries. I say it like, like an asshole. None of those countries. I mean, there, there you, have you been. Have, by the way, welcome back to Brian and Johnny's Chowder Society. <laughs> <laughs> none of none those, of those countries. little yellow green countries. <laughs> now, I've spent quite a bit of time in Asia, and every you know, I, I've been to Thailand, I've been to Sri Lanka, I lived in India for two years. I've spent a lot of time over there, and there's always some kind of you know the the tiger stripe rebellion there's always somebody you know there were two bombs in in bangalore while i lived there um there's always something going on there's always some kind of a rebel faction in uh, everywhere over there those countries have been at war with each other since the inception of time i yeah. mean the this other this korean movie is just part of the continuum you think that we have rivalries we, we, when you go to, if you do a tour of Asia, which I really recommend where you take a, you buy a whole package, you go to Japan and they're like, okay, great. Where are you going next? China. Oh, you're going to hate those people. <laughs> then you go to China and they go, oh, aren't you glad you're not in Japan anymore? You know, and, then, and it's just that way down the line. They, there's, there's hostility everywhere in the world. Yeah. But the whole goddamn country doesn't explode all at once. In the course of a day. And but here's okay, so put all of that aside. The setup is necessary to get to the thing that I think is effective about this movie is that they create these these little set pieces that aren't elaborate, but they are very tense, and you do fear for this family's life. And it feels like an entire movie of that scene in the raid where uh you know the cop is hiding in the wall. 
and and the sort of crazy machete gang is coming through and like poking the machete into the wall. It feels like a whole movie of that. That's what this feels like. And yet, instead of one building full of crazy people, they just open the top of that building and dump them all into the streets. <laughs> so basically, the raid two. Um, but I, I think that it they do a good job of of selling Owen Wilson and Lake Bell as. Maybe a little bit naive, but not completely inept or stupid people who are just trying to make a living, who are just trying to now get their family out of there safely. So you don't have trouble feeling for them. And I actually got to give props to Pierce Brosnan, who, in a couple moments of this film, is more badass than he ever was as Bond. Oh, I've liked him a lot more since Bond was over. But, I mean, like, legitimately felt more like an action hero... Oh, really? Okay. ...than I think he did for most of his run as James Bond. That's funny. And he's got just some really great moments in this film, and you're never really sure what to think about him until the end, and it's just... I, I thought that was probably the best job he's done in a while, and I think, uh, again, just, like, they do a lot with very little, and I think it's the exact opposite of Cooties, where it's like, they don't have much in this film either... But it's beautifully shot. Like everything yeah. feels very cinematic and very engrossing, and and I just think that they did an excellent job with it. Like it's not the it's not the greatest film you've ever seen, but it is an effective thriller. And I was I was very surprised by how much I actually did enjoy it. So that is our giveaway. This this is a a Blu-ray DVD digital HD copy of No Escape from Anchor Bay. I guess Anchor Bay is sponsoring this episode because they've had the most titles. That we've talked about, but that's nothing unusual. Um, so if you would like to win yourself a copy of No Escape, you're going to go to Twitter. You're going to follow us at one of us net. Make sure you're tweeting it at one of us net and not at DigiNoiseCast. So tweet at one of us net with the answer to this hypothetical. If you found yourself trapped in one movie, and it was just one movie, which movie, if you were trapped in that movie, would you work the hardest to escape from? Like, for example, if you found yourself in the Fat Boys movie, Disorderlies, would that be the movie that you'd work the hardest to escape from? Maybe a little bit of why? Hashtag that no escape giveaway. We'll pick is our that, favorite. Is that your answer? I don't know. Well, just, you, you have to have an answer, Brian. I, see, I How don't, often have we gone over this? I don't want to step on the toes if somebody has a good idea. I don't want to no, take it from them. You're, don't pussy no. out on that. you got to have an answer. All right. If I were stuck in one movie... What movie would I work the hardest to escape from? Probably Project X. Project? <laughs> because I hate everyone in that movie, and the only alternative is I murder every fucking teenager in that film, and then I become the bad guy. And you'd be the old guy at the party. That would make you... That, that, that would, like, double how bad it would be to be stuck in yeah, that Yeah, now movie. you're just making me want to drink whiskey and cry for a while, Johnny. Well, yeah, but I don't have to make you do that. That's, That's true. <laughs> I was going to do that anyway. Because it's Tuesday. Um, yeah. uh, what would mine would be? Yeah, what would yours be? Hmm, golly. I don't know. Dang it. You had more time to think about this. Oh, um, any of the prequels. <laughs> You're like, trade dispute, get me the fuck out any, of here. Any any, other prequels. If only these movies had a, a uh, likable rogue smuggler character that we could get behind. <laughs> but unfortunately, these are the prequels, and all the characters suck. Uh, yeah. So no one can smuggle me out of this fucking movie. See, that was my cop-out, just easy answer. Like, and, and you know what? I've only seen one of them, so I already I did my best to get out of them by leaving and never going to the other two. You heard it here first. Johnny Neal would want to escape from the prequels, and you can Kessel Run tell that. 
ladies and gentlemen. That's going to do it for this episode of Digital Noise. Thank Have you so much for Have a happy holiday. Us. Have a happy whatever the hell you celebrate. Juan Cthulhu Rael, whatever the case may be. I am Brian Salisbury. You can follow me on Twitter at Salisbury. You can uh, like my page on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Critic. Or Mr. Johnny Neal, where can people find you online? I'm at Johnny Neal, J-O-H-N-N-Y-N-E-I-L-L on the Twitter. And uh, Johnny Michael Neal on Facebook. And uh, there you go. And please tune in this weekend for Blue Christmas. Tell your friends it is going to be a hell of a time. You guys are going to enjoy it. You're going to have a lot of familiar voices showing up. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be insane. Somebody may die. It's somebody, entirely possible. Somebody may die. Somebody may die. You may. This may be somebody the last say, recording. I want to escape from Blue Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll say, we have a winner. Entirely possible. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm going to end this show the way I always do, reminding you that no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe to Turkey Hollow, we review them all. <laughs>